Hello, I'm Ryan Cook, and this is Civic Tech Chat, a podcast about the civic technology movement. We seek to harness the power technology has to improve the delivery of public services to people everywhere. Welcome back to another episode of Civic Tech Chat. If you've enjoyed our programming so far, don't forget to head on over to your podcast app to give us a five-star review. Doing so helps us reach a bigger community of folks and helps empower us to keep this thing going. This time, we're joined by user experience designer Shannon McHarg and content strategist Ryan Johnson. Both of these folks are part of the Office of Natural Resources Revenue, which is an agency within the United States Department of the Interior. We'll talk a bit about their involvement with an open source project they both contribute to called Main Ballot. With all that said, let's go ahead and get this thing started. Shannon, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us here on Civic Tech Chat. To get us started here, could each of you introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about what you do? Uh, Shannon, would, would you like to get us started? Yeah. So both of us work for the Office of Natural Resources Revenue, which is an agency within the U.S. Department of the Interior that tracks revenue brought in from natural resources like oil and gas extracted on federal land. We worked on the open data website that they have, um, and I'm the user experience designer at that site, and I'm based in Maine. My name is Shannon McCarg. And I'm Ryan Johnson. I'm the content strategist at the Office of Natural Resources Revenue, um, as Shannon mentioned, in the U.S. Department of the Interior. And I live in Portland, Oregon. Uh, one of the things we like to ask about from time to time on this program is this idea of personal why. Uh, you know, what it is that drives one to get out of the bed each morning to do what they do. Uh, can each of you share with us what that personal why is for you? Um, Ryan, would you like to go ahead and start us off? Sure. Yeah. Well, so for me, a well-functioning government and broad civic engagement are critical to a healthy democracy. So I've devoted a large portion of my career, uh, especially lately, to trying to improve government content delivery. And especially now, we need as many talented and dedicated people doing this kind of work in this sector, uh, where it's not driven by profit motive, but rather motivated by building trust and civic unity and caring for our fellow humans, our communities and the environment, propping up our democratic institutions, uh, taking care of the most vulnerable neighbors that we have, and so on. So. To that end, I volunteered with AmeriCorps in the past, worked in conservation education in academia, um, and worked in local and federal government now. And I volunteer time to other civic and government projects when I can. And for me, I I work for the government because I want to do work that matters and also to do it at scale, which is in the government, you have the ability to do things at scale. Um, you know, currently the site we work on, it provides transparency to natural resource revenue, which helps people like journalists and others working um, for the government and natural resource sectors to understand the impact of the extraction, extraction that's happening. So that it, we're able to provide that information so that they can make changes that matter. I also work with my local Code for America Brigade, Open Maine, because I want to work on things that impact the people around Maine and make their lives better. Could each of you tell us a little bit about the career path you've, you've been on so far with, with your life journey? Shannon, could you tell us a little bit about it first? Yeah. So I basically, I went to um, Bentley University for undergrad and got a degree in management and graduated in a year when there was no jobs for entry-level people. Um, and so I ended up staying another year for grad school and got a master's degree in human factors and information design, which is basically a degree in user experience. 
Um, I learned a lot about how humans think and process information and how to observe their behavior to improve experiences and services. Then I worked for H&R Block for about a decade, and then I did um, freelance work for companies like L.L. Bean and an agency that worked with a lot of startups. And then I ended up with my current job in the federal government. Yeah, and so for me, uh, my undergraduate degree was in philosophy, so it's been a bit of a winding road uh, since the early 2000s for me to get to get here. Uh, but during that time, I was also um, developing websites in a freelance manner for um, different small businesses and nonprofits, and then went to graduate school for GIS, Geographic Information Science in this case, in 2013, which kind of helped launch um, my, my civic tech work, um, or at least in that that sector. Um, and so, and then I mentioned I was also in AmeriCorps um, clear back in 2006, kind of dating myself now. Uh, but that that community is really great. Um, civil servants that um, volunteer a year. Um, and in my case, it was for um, salmon recovery and watershed restoration work. So I did a little bit of that uh, watershed education and whatnot in the context of uh, trying to encourage and promote STEM, um, science, technology, engineering, and math disciplines for K-12 schools. So I did that before joining local government and then now in the federal government. Is there any media, whether it's a podcast, book, YouTube video, or some other such thing that you consider to be a notable point of either inspiration or knowledge gathering within each of y'all's practices? Shannon, would you like to start us off with that one? Um, so Steve Krug's Don't Make Me Think was one of the first UX books I read, and it made me want to get into the field. It was a lot of information that seemed like common sense that I thought that people should be doing when working on pro- digital products. Yeah, and the, uh, the folks at the Government Digital Service in the UK have had a huge influence for me on, on, on how I approach my work. Um, some of their early members of that team have launched, I think, a new agency. Um, and they released a book recently called Digital Transformation at Scale which is an excellent resource for people working in government or other large organizations too. I'm also a big fan of Abby Covert's book, How to Make Sense of Any Mess, which among other things distinguishes between information and content in a really important way that changed how I think about content design um, and information architecture. And finally, I follow Hayden Pickering's work for accessibility guidance. He's ardent, irreverent, and hilarious, which makes his books and talks both informative and entertaining. Great. Thank you both for sharing those bits of your story and a bit about what drives and inspires you. I think we can go ahead and hop on over to our main topic, this Ballot Main project that both of you have been pretty heavily involved in, I hear. Could uh, one of you give the elevator pitch of a sort for what Ballot Main is and what it's about? Yeah, so Maine Ballot is a website that helps voters in the state of Maine to understand the questions, what the questions on the ballot mean, and gives them the information they need to make an informed decision. Awesome. And I, I see you all have uh, put together a team of contributors along the way. Well, what has the team composition been like for, for the project as, as it's kind of gone along its life? So it started out as just me. So I figured if I had to do the research to be able to fill out my own ballot, it might be helpful for others to use the information I was finding. Um, California had done a similar site, and I initially reached out to the people who created that site to see um, if it was in a format that could be copied, but it wasn't. Um, so then I reached out to a lawyer friend to see if I needed to worry about any sort of liability by you know, providing information for um, voting. And so he wrote the disclaimer text that I have on there. Um, 
and then so the first year I relied, it was me throwing it up there like two weeks before the election. So didn't have a lot of um, feedback on it until I posted it on Facebook and friends started asking questions. And then I was able to refine um, the content based off of that. And the second year, um, I had a friend who has the opposite political views for me want to get involved. So now she pokes holes in all the content and makes sure that we're rounding it out. And then last year, um, I got Open Main involved um, so that it could be a project that like people who are new coming into the brigade um, that don't know how to code or anything can immediately start contributing on. Um, they can be writing content. They don't have to have a lot of technical skills. Um, and because like last year, we had five questions, which was a lot. I didn't have a lot of time to update it myself. So it was a great way to start getting more people involved and having more of a review process so that more holes were being poked in the content. Um, and now it's open source, which we'll talk a little bit about later, um, but it's now become an official open main project because they require um, sites to be open source. That was one of the impetuses behind moving it um, to be open source. And now it can be maintained even if I decide to stop working on it, it's fully pulled into the open main organization. Awesome. That sounds great. Uh, it, it's also nice to hear that it managed to successfully make that transition to uh, becoming an open source project. And uh, Ryan, uh, where along the story did you end up getting to hop on the project and what's the story there? Yeah, so even before, so um, I guess we'll get to the government shutdown in a minute, but before the government shut, shutdown happened, uh, Shannon had been talking about wanting to uh, migrate this this website that she was working on from Squarespace to um, something open source. And at the time, the open data site that we were working on in the federal government was built in Jekyll, and uh, all of the code base was in was open and in a GitHub repository. And so I thought it might be really useful to work on, to do two things at once, basically to, to um, help Shannon migrate that project to Jekyll, um, which is a static site generator uh, open source tied very closely to the GitHub uh, sort of ecosystem and uh, deploy it uh, for free using GitHub pages um, because at the time uh, I think Shannon was paying something like $200 a year for the Squarespace service. The code base was was closed. Uh, so we, I thought it might be a good way for us to work on something great. I was inspired by what she had put together so far for main ballot. I thought it was a really great project that provided very concise and, and very clear and well-structured ballot question content for, for voters. So I guess we'll maybe get to this in a minute, but uh, the, the shutdown ended up, the government shutdown ended up providing a context in which we could actually work together on it. We're on opposite coasts, so we usually spend the morning co-working on our, on our um, federal government work um, while we're both in our working hours and then um, so we, we didn't have a lot of time in that context to work, to, to migrate this site. Um, so uh, perhaps the only good thing about the government shutdown is it gave us an opportunity to do so. And uh, speaking of the government shutdown, uh, we, we are indeed going to uh, kind of dig into that story a little more with this, this next question. As you mentioned, like a lot of this involvement seemed to happen during the government shutdown early this year, um, moving to those tools that you mentioned, you know, Jekyll, GitHub pages, I would be curious, like, how, how did the government shutdown serve as uh, a mechanism for, for bringing uh, you two together for this? Yeah, so it, it gave us a lot of free time to actually start working on it. We've done a little bit beforehand where we had started picking out a template and whatnot, but it really gave us the time to sit down and do the work. That's so one of the side motives I think Ryan started to allude to it but didn't get to was that 
um, we wanted to teach me how to code <laughs> because we have one developer on our work site. Um, and so we we're always looking for ways to augment that. It's our biggest bottleneck. Um, so it was a great way to use the time during the shutdown to, since we weren't allowed to work on our regular site, <laughs> to still like learn skills that we could use and to do this project that we wanted to do for um, Open Main and get it such that um, everyone in, in that organization could be contributing to it. And it's, it's interesting. You actually don't have as much free time during shutdowns as you might think, because the longer they go on, the more you have to look into things like applying for unemployment. And that can involve all sorts of requirements, like meeting with an advisor, looking for and applying for jobs, even though you already have one, uh, managing paperwork. But with the remaining time, I mean, I was eager to, to find productive projects that, that I could work on with the remaining time. And Shannon's project was such an inspiring one that, and, and for all the other reasons that, that we mentioned, it was just a really um, great way to kind of not only get something productive done, but distract, help distract or deflect from some of the anxieties that, that I had at least as a furloughed employee during that time. So doing something productive, doing something meaningful, um, distracting from what turned out to be the longest government shutdown in US history. Right, there's only so much binge watching you can do before you start going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is very true. So as mentioned, uh, the two kind of I guess, primary technologies that y'all end up using during this time is a, a Jekyll and GitHub pages. And I guess then the kind of the bits that support the, the, those ecosystems. Could uh, y'all talk a little bit about the, the thinking that went be behind those, uh, those choices? Sure. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of ironic that while we were building this in Jekyll, we were actually migrating um, the code base for our federal government site from Jekyll to Gatsby JS, which is a different static site generator using React, uh, for a lot of reasons that we don't have time to, to go into here. But one of the many challenges with shutdowns is you have basically have no idea how long they'll last. Um, so we, we pulled down a template, as Shannon alluded to, in Jekyll. The reason we chose Jekyll and GitHub Pages was that we could host it um, pretty easily and for free with GitHub pages. So Jekyll um, basically derived from the same team that initially built GitHub. So there was a, a kind of continuity of the, of, the, of the technology there that was really attractive to setting something up quickly because we didn't know how long the shutdown was going to last. Um, there are a lot of Jekyll starters and themes that you can pull down to, to get a head start. So we made use of uh, a Jekyll theme to get it started and then basically customize that. So the, the motivation, I mean, there are a lot of tools to do this now. I mean, um, I don't, I don't, I guess we don't need to like sponsor an individual um, technology or company or what have you, but there's certainly a lot of ways to, if you're just doing static site generation. And then also, I mean, there's this concept of Jamstack, which I think is JavaScript APIs and, and markup where you can, host for free with a lot of different tools and technologies. I had built sites previously in Jekyll and GitHub pages. So for me, it was kind of just a straightforward way to support Shannon uh, in, with this project. But then to right, having GitHub being an open source code repository was attractive for all the reasons that we mentioned earlier by uh, it being an open main project and uh, allowing others to, to clone it down and, and build their own site too. And, and how would you describe the, uh, the product development process as I imagine migrating from Squarespace to something like this is a, that's a pretty significant change. So can we talk a little bit about the, the process behind 
how y'all went about that? Yeah, sure. So, um, well, that Shannon described it too, but basically we, Shannon transitioned all of the content into markdown files. So they were uh, static uh, structured markdown files. And then that was really the, the most kind of, I think, time intensive part of the process was just migrating the content. But once you do that, then you can basically hook on any template you want around those markdown files to loop through them and generate whatever pages you want based on their uh, front matter, their, uh, basically their metadata, their taxonomies. Um, so that's kind of what we did. Shannon uh, structured all of the markdown files such that, you know, they recorded which election it was in the front matter uh, metadata and uh, basically the main themes of each ballot question. And so then uh, I was able to hook onto that to kind of build the, the structure around that. So for instance, like the homepage will generate all of the ballot questions. Um, here we call them ballot measures. So I always have to try to correct myself for the way they're referred to in Maine. But so we can loop through all of the, the ballot questions and then generate the pages based on individual elections or individual, whether or not the ballot measure passed or what have you. So a lot of the work, uh, was basically Shannon building the content structure, which is during my day job, something I usually am tasked with. So that, <laughs> that was refreshing. Um, and then I kind of went through and built the sort of conditional logic to drive the, the page generation. Yeah, and a lot of it, because we had an existing site, so a lot of it was like using that as the design initially. And plus there were some things that Squarespace wouldn't let me do that I knew I wanted to do. So it was kind of using those as requirements too. Um, and then like I had to, like the, there were some hurdles like with the images that we had for every ballot question that ended up being, I had paid for them, but they were tied to my Squarespace account. So I couldn't use them on the new site. So I went and found new open source versions of the images. Um, and then we had to figure out how to get in, into open mains organization and GitHub and moving the domain and all of that kind of um, logistical stuff in the background as well as part of the migration. Shannon, I believe I heard there that you also wound up structuring the content files in like a specific way in order to make it easier to, to use them on, yeah, on I mean, the site? Yeah, so like there's some things that are now, there includes in Jekyll that now we don't have to redo on every page. So we just say like there's a section of the page that says like yes means and no means. Like that's an include, so we don't have to relay that on every page. We just need to put the text that goes with that for that particular um, ballot question, um, things like that that make it easier to update. And speaking of information, uh, a site like this, I imagine, has to come up with a, a pretty significant amount of content. And with the goal being to inform voters during mm -hmm. a cycle, I imagine that's quite a process because you have to be both timely, current, and accurate. Yeah. Uh, I would imagine that a lot of time and skill is needed to draft that sort of content that is, uh, again, not only accurate, but is also as probably as neutral as is reasonable. Could you talk about uh, maybe like patterns of behavior that you use to kind of put yeah. that together? So usually I end up kind of watching out for our secretary of state will put out a voter guide. That's like this really long PDF with lots of legalese in it. Um, and I use that like to know what the questions are in the first place. Um, and then I go to Ballotpedia and pull, look at their content and see what makes sense. And then kind of put it into the template that we've got and um, figure out what's missing um, for the pieces of information that are there. I mean, initially it started with me putting content into an actual prototype and getting feedback from a couple of people before I built it in Squarespace. And then it was reviewing editing pages after they were built in Squarespace. And then last year with the number of questions that we had um, and the addition of the open main volunteers, we started doing it in Google Docs. So 
we got all the content nailed down and then we put it into the um, site and we used um, Slack to chat to review a lot and edit a lot of the content. This year, now that we have GitHub, there were no questions for June, which we usually have one or two for our June elections. So we haven't been able to test it yet. And just in the last week, we got one for November. So it's not a lot of content right now, um, but we'll be able to use it to kind of flesh out the process and GitHub. Hopefully we can do things like pull requests to, be, to like put it into the live site and review it before we post it live. Um, it's kind of a pilot project in the use of GitHub for OpenMain because a lot of people, we have a lot of non-coders in our brigade. Um, and so it's, we're trying to figure out how to best use GitHub uh, as, as an organization. And this is kind of a good pilot project for that as well. So what, what sort of review process have you used in, in the past then for new content? I think you talked about some of that being like Google Drive driven. Yeah. Uh, versus like, what do, you want the, what do you want that to look like then in the, in the future? In the future, I think it would be somebody would take on the task of drafting the initial content for it, or maybe different sections on the page. Because so on the page, we have um, what, what the, the gist of the question, the full text of the question, what yes means, what no means, where the money went. Now there's a tell me more section that's a little bit more fleshed out than just the gist. And like who supports it as far as like organizations who've given money for the question. Uh, and so like it could be broken out into those sections like a person takes a section or um, a whole question depending on who, who's involved and how involved they want to be um, and then having you know at least like maybe two people review it um, before it goes live and then the folks that would end up reviewing it is it folks that are are there with you like at, like at the open main project is that accurate yeah yeah so i also noticed that in the uh, the readme for for the for the repo that's up now that it seems to prompt one to want to fork the project. And it looks like the aim of that is to encourage folks to set up ballots, uh, ballot sites for other locations. If there's a listener out there that is listening to you describe this site and they're like, yeah, like I could, I could fork this and maybe I could use this where I'm at. Uh, how should they go about getting started with that? Yeah. So opening up the code base and sharing it in a GitHub repository, as we mentioned, was a huge motivation for the work from the beginning. And our assumption being also that uh, Shannon's motivation, because as as she alluded to, like you have to you I mean to be an engaged citizen with your with your elections, you have to understand these these ballot issues for yourself. And we figured, well, there are probably other people in other states who who want to do this too. They're going to do the research anyway, and and maybe they could you know clone down this this GitHub repository and sort of launch their own site in their own state. So part, part of that, I mean, we were at Code for America, the, the summit this year, um, kind of, well, we were there in our capacities of interior employees, but we were able to share a little bit with the other brigades about, um, and I'm not actually a part of a brigade, so uh, I, might, I might have to join the Portland one here um, to see if we can get a, an iteration of this site for, uh, for Oregon. But uh, yeah, so we... we uh, we wrote some comprehensive documentation to try to help others like, step by step clone the repository, uh, get a local instantiation of the repository, um, serve it with Jekyll locally, work on their own site, and then uh, push it up to their to their own state repository. Uh, so we did. I mean, obviously, a hallmark of any good open source project is is comprehensive documentation. So we wanted to make sure that, and especially, as Shannon mentioned, you know, it's not there are a lot of civically engaged people that don't necessarily know um, coding particularly well. So we wanted to make sure that we 
gave some guidance for people to uh, be able to set this up from scratch with no prior knowledge of uh, Jekyll necessarily or uh, any uh, specific coding knowledge. Um, we also tried to build the code. I mean, it, I'm, I'm sure it could be improved. That's the other thing. We would certainly welcome people to go into the code base and, and contribute if they, if they think that we could be doing something better in that code base, for sure. But we did try to do, and Shannon mentioned it earlier, Jekyll has this uh, functionality um, called includes, which are basically little partial pieces of code that, that uh, inc you can include in a page with the repeating elements. So she mentioned the yes means and no means. Yeah, that's a little table, HTML table, that we all the repeating elements we plug in. And then in the, in the metadata, we just basically change the content based on which ballot question that content is showing up for. So we did try to do these repeating instances, abstract those out into something common to the whole site. And then we were able to kind of reduce the burden of having to do manual coding on every single page by, by doing that. Um, so we included documentation about that too. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, the hope is that, uh, that people basically with, um, I mean, they'll need Ruby and Jekyll um, and then a Git, GitHub account, but that hopefully they can pull down the, the code base and uh, launch their own, their own ballot site. So I suppose this, this, Shannon, this might be more question for you uh, of being in Maine, but you know, since you, you kind of have your nose in, in the content of all of these, these questions, I imagine, for a pretty considerable amount of time, is there one that's come up along the way that you thought, like, wow, that's, maybe this is, like, the most interesting question I've seen on the ballot in the short time? If so, uh, could you share a little bit about that? Yeah, the most interesting was ranked choice voting, um, which is something that we implemented, I guess, just in the last years when we finally got it implemented. We had to actually do it twice on the ballots because our governor, like, overruled it. Um, but it allows us for, I think it's anything except for governor and president, but like for our um, Cong Congress, for the House and Senate and state House and Senate, and actually the primaries for governor are also ranked choice where we get to choose our, like rank all of the candidates so that it allows, um, prevents the spoiler effect. And um, so that question was super interesting. And, I, and it was also interesting from a content perspective because we did it twice. So then like when we had it come up again, um, I said, okay, well, this is, if you think you saw this before, go back and look at the other one. It's pretty much the same thing. <laughs> oh, that, that does sound like a really interesting one. Uh, as far as I know, there aren't really a lot of states that have hopped yeah. into the ranked choice wagon yet. So it's pretty cool to hear that y'all have experimented with that. Yeah. Speaking of, of, of uh, like ballot questions and whatnot, uh, have, have y'all had any uh, feedback along the way from like folks uh, that have used it as far as like to try to inform their vote? And uh, if so, like what, what kinds of things are, are you hearing? Yeah, I mean, so often it'll be like a very specific question about one of the questions and it'll be like something that I've missed and so then I'll go research it and then put the answer into the um, question. But then I did finally during the shutdown have time to do some research. Um, during an open main meeting, we had people do usability testing on it. And so we haven't made any changes to the site yet because we haven't had any new content since then. But like, we're going to end up changing the order of some of the questions because of the what people thought was more important versus um, other sections. Um, so raising up particularly like where the money comes from and goes was a, a one of particular interest to people. So we'll move that up the page. Also then is the, uh, the ordering then based on like a, a priority of, of issues? Is that how that works? Or could, could you talk um, a little bit more about that? 
Yeah, so it's more like what's helpful um, in be making a decision about what to vote yes or no on a question. Um, so like just moving the things that people thought were more important up the page so that they don't have to read through the whole page to get to what helped them answer the question. Oh, okay. And then to make sure that, that I understand, are we, so are we talking about the hierarchy like within a question, like how it's presented? Yeah. Oh, yep. okay. Yeah, and then there's, I, we, I added some information about like how bonds work um, because my, my dad in particular was like going on a rant about it one morning. He's like, I don't understand how bonds work. But I was like, okay, I can put something together and put it on the website. And, you know, I got feedback from people on it and then, then it became part of the website. So it's just kind of as people talk to me about it, when they know that I'm doing this website, then things kind of come out of the woodwork that would be useful. Well, in fact, I think the bonds thing became a, like a top level nav item right? Yeah, it did. Because we have so many bonds in Maine because of the way our budget works, we can't run a deficit. So anytime they need extra money, there has to be a bond question. We end up with a lot of them. And whether it's within this project specifically or others, whether at OpenMade or Orion, just maybe projects you've, you've observed outside that context, uh, are there any behaviors you've seen that uh, maybe brigades out in the network could try to replicate? Yeah, so one thing about Open Maine is that we are a brigade for an entire state where most of the brigades are for a specific city where everyone's geographically close together. And so we only meet once a month where most brigades meet once a week. And so we do a lot of communication on Slack in between. Um, and so we're constantly like we have channels for every project and being able to work on things in between, which I think makes it more inclusive to people who can't necessarily come to meetings. Like I was I have only been able to go to the meeting since January because it was on a day of the week when I had other commitments. They changed the day of the week, so I've finally been able to go to the meetings, but before that I was completely participating online. Um, so it opens it up to people who can't necessarily come physically to meetings. Yeah, and I think, um, <clears throat> well, a couple things. I mean, the, what, what we did to open source this project, I think is hopefully uh, a template or some kind of inspiration that, that other brigades could use to um, try to find uh, sort of similar civic engagement sites uh, that, uh, or election um, education sites that, that could be converted to this format. Because one of the things that I was noticing when I was working on it is uh, how, you know, a lot of states deal with the same kinds of issues and they have really similar, similar ballot measures. And we were, for instance, in Oregon, I mean, we've, we have this concept of fusion voting that's been in the public discourse here for a long time, which is markedly different from, but sort of has a similar origin to rank choice. And so when I was reading about uh, Maine's rank choice voting and uh, the content that Shannon had put together and the resources, I was like, well, that's really interesting. I mean, I wonder if, you know, I wonder if that's something that would work really well for different states. So it's not just, I mean, we're sharing the code base, but we're also sharing kind of the, the um, democratic activities of, of of different states, and I think that can be very informative. Uh, but but hopefully, I mean, you know, we I think the open sourcing a project like this is really about bringing comprehensive sort of uh, engagement and democratic principles and openness and transparency to the whole process surrounding even the democratic institution of elections. So um, yeah, hopefully, it's a, a model that um, you know our, our story can hope hopefully help inform. Uh, other brigades and whatnot, um, and other federal employees during their next government shutdown. Oh, well, hopefully there, there isn't a next as much as maybe probability Indeed. isn't with us on that wish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, one thing that seems to have come up 
now a, a couple of times, both kind of maybe at the beginning, and then I, I heard Shannon mention this a little bit as well, is this idea that a lot of the collaboration, um, I guess especially between you two being across the country from each other, is done remotely or distributed in, in nature. Uh, could you talk a little bit about the, each of you talk a little bit about like your experiences with this sort of distributed collaboration, maybe like a little bit of like what, what works well, maybe what doesn't. So I've been working remotely since 2007. <laughs> so, and, and I think it works well when um, you have the right tools, you know, I think we use things like Slack and email this for this one. Actually, we used a lot of email because we weren't in our work Slack and Ryan's not in the open main Slack um, and messaging through GitHub or just, you know, putting in commits and putting messages in. So GitHub allows a lot of, um, asynchronous communication um, and also using video chat helps a lot. Um, this is actually the first job I've had and I've um, so in the last year or so we've been doing a lot of Google Hangouts um, with video and it, it does help a lot for you to feel more connected than when you're just on phone calls. Um, so I think that type of thing does go a long way. And also just being like over communicating I think often helps too. Yeah, communication is absolutely critical. Uh, but also I'd say with a remote team, it's really important to, um, you know, respect people's time. And that, I mean, it's easy to forget that Shannon's three hours <laughs> time difference for me. Um, so I, I think like in terms of our federal government work, I mean, I think the important parts there are basically like very clear communication, comprehensive communication, but also I think a, a really effective product manager is important, a product owner. Uh, who can kind of help coordinate and also like for, for main ballot, for instance, like Shannon, this was Shannon's project. And so um, for me, it was like, I was there in a supporting role and that, you know, prevented any kind of cross motivational uh, uh, dissonance or what have you. And I think like our, our product manager um, within the department of interior is really, really great at, at performing that role. And I think it's really important for, not just a remote team, but it really helps set the priorities because you have very limited time to co-work on things and um, you need to make the best use of that time. And if you're sort of fumbling around and you don't have a clear vision of where you're going, uh, then then you, it can be very unproductive, especially with remote teams, I think. In this case, I mean, we had more time than we normally have because of the shutdown. So we did have uh, uh, video co-working sessions. I relied on those because I really wanted to make sure that I was uh, anything, any code that I was writing or any, any structure that I was imposing on the project was going to be sustainable for Shannon in the future. It was going to be a project that at some point I'm not going to be involved with probably because I'm not in Maine and I'm not part of the open Maine group. So I wanted to make sure that all the decisions that we made, we kind of made together uh, in terms of the, the larger kind of structural um, uh, components of the study. Now, as is uh, tradition, with the Civic Tech Chat program. Uh, we like to leave some space here at the, the tail end of the conversation to make sure that the guests have uh, time to give us uh, what they think our thoughts should be as we, as we leave, like what that message should be or narrative or some other synonym for those things. Um, so as we get to concluding thoughts here, uh, what would concluding thoughts be for each of you? And then uh, whichever you is, of you is ready first can, can kind of jump in and start us, I suppose. 
All right, so working on this project during the shutdown allowed us to make good use of our unexpected free time. It's allowed the product to become a full-fledged brigade project, and we're able to expand our skill sets that we can then take back into our day jobs. And so if we end up with another shutdown, hopefully not, <laughs> I recommend other government employees checking out whether there are projects available to work out uh, um, on with their local Code for America brigades. You know, it's much more feasible to do than trying to do freelance work, you know, because with freelance work, they want you to know how long you're going to be available. Um, so with volunteer stuff, it's a little bit more flexible and can give you something to do with your time. If you want to check out the site, it's mainballot.org. And if you want to check out the site we work on in our day jobs, it's revenuedata.doi.gov. And we have a blog that talks about our work there if you're interested in hearing more about how we work. Yeah, and I'd say um, in conclusion, find, find a team that is the kind of, I mean, if you're interested in this work, try to go work for a team or with a team that would spend their government shut down working on this kind of project. I mean, I, I'm, I'm thankful every day that I, that I get to work with people like Shannon that would, that would take their time during um, a pretty unfortunate circumstance to do something productive for um, for society and for their communities and uh, for their state in this case uh, so yeah I mean I that's not always the easiest thing to do but uh, if you can find a team that is not just comprised of people that that are just there to pull down a paycheck but actually are really interested in this work and motivated by transparency and, and civic engagement and uh, and all the rest then you're going to be a lot better off because you'll be able to, to be more productive and work on stuff that really matters. Um, and so, yeah, I'm thankful for the team that I have and, and glad that um, we were, we were both kind of hired through 18F, uh, which is a, a part of the general services administration and in the federal government and, and that group too, uh, because they worked on, on this uh, department of the interior site before we did that group too, is just packed with people who are really, really interested in making a difference and the kind of people that would probably use the government shuts out to work on, on a civic engagement site. So find those teams uh, where you can you can work on what matters, and that and that you have a team around you that um, even even during their free time is uh, working on stuff that's really important. Well, I want to thank you both for again taking the time out of your day to come beyond Civic Tech Chat. It's been a, a fantastic conversation and one that uh, I imagine that not only I will have enjoyed, but the listeners as well. So again, thank you both. Thank you. Thank you for having us. You can follow us on Twitter using the handle at civictechchat. Visit us on the web at civictech.chat or subscribe to us for content updates wherever it is you download your podcasts.